every generation, there is a chosen podcast. It alone will analyze the subtext, the allegory, and the clever Whedon-esque dialogue. It is Conversations with Dead People. Welcome to Conversations with Dead People, a postmortem podcast on the works of Joss Whedon. I'm your host, Paul Smith, and I'm typically joined by guests from the worlds of fandom and academia as we make our way through the critically acclaimed series Buffy the Vampire Slayer and its spin-off series Angel. And back with me again is friend and author Dale Guffey. Uh, welcome back. Hi, thank you so much for having me. And I told you this would happen. Once you get me, you can't get rid of me. No, I'm fine with that. I... Uh... <laughs> I have gotten positive, I've gotten much positive feedback on uh, your first appearance on the show. That is lovely. I enjoyed it so much that I had to come back. Which is you being polite and not acknowledging that I am forcing you to be on this episode. There is a rumor that you have my husband tied up next (laughs) to you and are threatening him unless I do a good podcast. Yeah, well, I do have Ensley tied up, but it has nothing to do with the podcast. It's for personal reasons. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> um, anyways, so you apparently have just officially been crowned area chair. Let me see if I get all this. Area <laughs> chair of lawyers and legal systems in popular culture for the Southwest Popular American Culture Association. Yes? Isn't that a mouthful it's a mouthful yes so and it's less being crowned and more saying you know what would be a cool idea (laughs) and the next thing you know they send you the paperwork and say put it together and let's just see it does sound nice though you are a you're a self-made regent that (laughs) self-made regent i like that uh regents tend to not turn out too well so (laughs) (laughs) you'll get it right you'll get it historically speaking Um, Southwest Popular and American Culture Association is, okay, the way this works in academia, the country is divided up into different regions. I'm actually based in North Carolina, so it's a little weird that I'm part of the Southwest. But uh, first off, the Southwest conference was my very first conference way back when. Mm -hmm. And it's also the largest of the regions not just geographically, but in terms of the number of folks who come there. So because it's large, it has a lot of different areas. It's a great place to go. And I mean, I've seen everything from obviously a lot of Whedon presentations, but also there are pop culture academics, and I want to stress the academic side of this, who literally study the Grateful Dead. (laughs) <laughs> um, that doesn't surprise a, me that doesn't well, surprise there me. are a slew of like dylanologists excellent um 
Some of them are studying Dylan Thomas. Others are studying <laughs> Bob Dylan. I don't know if these two get in the same room or not. That is weird. I instantly thought uh, Bob Dylan when you said yeah, that. Most of them are Bob Dylan. Yeah. Okay. But it's it's just a great time. I, I've seen I've seen presentations on things that are just so outside my area, and I really enjoy that pop culture studies is very interdisciplinary Mm -hmm. as you know from Whedon studies so you can go to a presentation and have someone talking about film and television filming techniques followed by a musicologist followed by someone doing a Marxist reading of (laughs) Grey's Anatomy oh wow I might be making that one up, but I'm really not sure. I, that sounds like a real thing. And if not, you just spoke it into existence. So. <laughs> so I really wanted to do something. I mean, I trained as an attorney. I still maintain my law license. I teach law. And I really wanted to do something with the fact that so many people get their law from television. Mm-hmm. And they and TV and movies, of course, because they're they're narratives. They cut a lot of corners to make a good story, and I'm all in favor of that. But at the same time, you know, seriously, study civics, people, <laughs> study civics. So what I've done here, and I'll I'll plug this again at the end if you'll give me a minute. Yeah. But I put together this area that is devoted to lawyers and the legal system in popular culture. And it can be everything from Saul Goodman in Breaking Bad, who oddly enough is a really good attorney. (laughs) Effective attorney. He's he's unethical. Yeah, yeah. But he does know the law (laughs) um, to presentations maybe on Dick Wolf and the whole uh, Law and Order franchise. Right, yeah. To Wolfram and Hart, who you're going to get to when you get to Angel. Yes. All of this. It could also be on, let's just take a moment for the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Mm. um, who became a huge icon in popular culture as well as in the legal field. It could, it, I I just think there are a lot of opportunities here and I'm trying to um, bring those to a different audience. Okay, so, and and this is going to be you're planning this to be a virtual conference, yeah, right? This year yeah. because of COVID, thank you. Um the conference will be all virtual. Yeah. And it'll be in late February. Okay. Some things are still being worked out of course in terms of um how the different panels are going to run because they're going to look different from how we've done them in the past. Right. Not all of that has been worked out by the powers that be, but uh, I will make sure that we get the necessary call for papers to you so that folks have a place to go and go, huh, I'm interested in this. And maybe maybe they're not interested in presenting, but maybe they'd be interested in watching some of these. Yeah, of course. Yeah. The time comes. Well, so you and I have been talking off mic about how by hook or by crook, we are going to get my wife involved because – I'm hoping it doesn't come to the crook thing, but I'm willing. <laughs> My wife is an attorney who works for the literal Wolferman Hart. Um, uh-huh. And uh, I have twisted her arm and gotten her to present on a panel uh, about 
law and pop culture at um, okay, wait a minute you have my husband tied up you twisted your wife's arm what's going on here? i know and i don't have reading joss whedon again i maintain <laughs> i am an evil soulless thing anyways i've gotten her to be i've gotten her to be on one of these panels at alabama phoenix fest once so i know it's possible to do and yeah. since it's going to be for you I, and I'm I I'm going to push it. I, yeah. I really am. Pam yeah. is extraordinary, and I would love to get that brain of hers on some of these panels. Yes, she is way, way smarter than I am, and she really should have been doing this podcast from the beginning. So, I, dis- I have to be very careful how I word this. I disagree with you on that. You have different skill sets. Okay. They mesh. Okay. They mesh. Yes, sure. She's really smart, and I'm really gullible. I don't know what I am. This is me just drinking my water. Yeah, just take your sip of tea right now. (laughs) Okay. Well, yeah, uh, I'll have you go through some of those details again at the end of the episode. And if there's actually a link that I can provide for the call call for papers or whatever. Yeah. Um, I'll try and get that from you. It's on two of the major sites that deal with that, Mm -hmm. but I can... um, yeah, I can get you the link. Okay. I will uh, make every effort to put that in the show notes so Super listeners cool. can find that. In the meantime, let me uh, drop some spoiler warnings here and we'll get into it. So, right. Conversations with Dead People is not a typical rewatch and review podcast. We're going to be exploring the plots, characters, and themes of each episode in depth and within the context of the series as a whole. Which means we're going to spoil things, we're going to spoil a lot of things, we'll spoil them all the way, we will not hold back... We will not cut corners. So I recommend if you haven't already watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel the Series all the way through at least once, stop listening right now. Go and do that. My goodness, what's wrong with you? Please (laughs) go watch Buffy and Angel and you can come back and find us whenever you're ready. We'll still be here. So with that business taken care of, Dale, if you're ready, let's go to work. Let's go to work. All right. So this is the penultimate episode of conversations with dead people Mm -hmm. the buffy era so we are discussing the is it second to last the the third to last and second to last episode right that's how this works okay yes yes of the series buffy we're talking about episodes 720 touched and 721 end of days right so i'm gonna start with you Usually I give you the option of you want to tackle these broadly, or do you want to start with a certain episode? Let's start with touched, but these two really do uh, flow. Yeah. I I mean, mean, one, one literally ends on a countdown (laughs) that picks up in the next one. Yeah. And touched literally starts at the very end of, right. um, Of our, our, Sorry, blanking of our last one that we were together and talked about. Yeah, what the heck was the name? I cannot uh, remember episode titles. As soon as I put them out of, as soon as I publish, it, I can't. Empty, remember. empty places. Thank empty you. Places. Thank you. God. So, I know. Terrible. I know. Don't so one of the things that I really noticed that I want to talk with with you about and get some of your reactions to whether or not I'm just totally out of my tree here because 2020. <laughs> is the thing that really stood out to me about these two episodes, especially Touched, is how Shakespearean it is. Uh Uh-huh, okay. And 
what really got me, and we know that Whedon's a huge Shakespeare fan. Yes. We've, you know, we've, 2012, he did his version of uh, Much Ado. Which I loved. I loved that version. Wasn't that really eight years ago? 2012. I had to look it up. That's so, yeah. Good grief. Okay. 2012. So, we know he liked Shakespeare. He had a, he... I don't know if he still does this or not, but he had this habit of bringing people over to his house and doing readings yep, and that kind of thing. Uh, Fillion, of course, who's playing Caleb, is the son of two English teachers and apparently was terrified of reading Shakespeare with Whedon. <laughs> so he winds up being Dogberry and Much Ado after... Um, after his turn as Caleb. I don't, I don't know if I knew that, or I don't remember knowing that, that he was yeah. the son of two Shakespeare scholars. I, well, high school English teachers at the very least. Okay. Okay. Um, and he, he just apparently wasn't too sure about the whole reading Shakespeare thing. Um, and wound up obviously really loving it. And he does a great dog and much ado, but, one of the things that Shakespeare does a lot of, and I'm, this is where you're, a Shakespeare scholar is probably going to slam down their cup of tea and, <laughs> and start cursing, in you know grammatically correct cursing. Yeah, of course. Iambic pentameter. The, oh, and iambic pentameter. That's even better. But one of the things that Shakespeare does in some of his comedies is you have like two couples and they're the inverse of each other. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've occasionally thought it's either really economical writing or it's sloppy. <laughs> because you basically just have to write one storyline and then you flip it and write the other one. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, that might be the only time in my life I've ever said that Shakespeare was sloppy, but there it is. <laughs> oh, there come you, on. Should, should we all be so lucky as to be that sloppy? Exactly. But... You notice it a lot in Touched because you wind up having four couples that you're following throughout this entire episode. Right. You have Buffy and Spike. You have uh, Willow and Kennedy. Right. You have Faith and Wood. Mm-hmm. And you have Xander and Anya. I could actually add another couple to that. Go for it. Because I have something to say on it. Uh the first and Caleb. Nice. Yes. I thought you were going to say Andrew and Spike. <laughs> no, that would have been great. That would have been great. But, uh, but you're right. You also do have, uh, the first and, and Caleb. That's yeah, definitely. I mean, this episode gives us the big, uh, let's talk about sex baby scene. Yes. Uh, or scenes with everybody getting mm-hmm. their last minute busy on. Um, and that includes the first and Caleb. Yes. And, and, it, and then in the next episode, we actually get the uh, the consummation of that relationship. Consummation. That's it. It's it's an amazing episode, I, I think, because you see these people using touch yeah. in all of these different ways to essentially find some kind of connection. Mm-hmm. Some and some of them are are passionate and lustful. Some of them are passionate and loving and some of them are passionate yet chaste a little bit timid 
so there's some there's a lot of interesting stuff going on here. And I I do though I find it very Shakespearean because I think if you only followed one of those couples, regardless of which one, I think if you only followed one of those couples, you don't get as much <laughs> bang for your buck. <laughs> nice. Shall we say? Insert drum fill here. <laughs> but I'm ching. But you you don't. It, it's when you see them parallel and you can compare and contrast them that they get a bigger meaning, I think. Mm-hmm. So, you know, more than the sum of the parts, so to speak. I I don't know. I I really like these two episodes. I so did I. It continues to surprise me. Uh maybe it's your influence, Dale. Maybe you bring out the best in me. <laughs> but uh I will yeah. say this though. Did you notice how much handheld camera work there is? I did. I'm not a fan of handheld. Did it bug you? It, it bugs did. me. It did. I I um I do my best to acknowledge that there is a time and place for handheld camera, for shaky cam, oh, as I call it. Um, shaky it ab- cam, yeah. It absolutely has its place. Um, I feel like in present day pop culture, I feel like 95% of its use is not appropriate or necessary. Well, and I do have to remember, this was these episodes are from 03. Right, yeah. But at the same time, because it, it did get so overused, when I go back and I rewatch this, because it's in the very first scene, which, you know, picks up right after Buffy leaves the house and all the all the girls and everybody else who's left behind in the house is just arguing over how to proceed. Right. And honestly, I get it. I get it. Okay. The shaky cam is telling me, look, there's turmoil in yes, here. Yes, yes. Turmoil. It, ah, we don't <laughs> know what's going on. And it does. Oh, if only, if only listeners at home, if only you could see Dale while she was doing <laughs> that. You should have grabbed your computer and shaken it while you're doing that. <laughs> but it is, it's just, it, it's. I find it distracting, and when I find something distracting, it yanks me out of the story, which is always annoying to me. But not everything is going to be perfect all the time, and I get that. Um, Speaking of things not being perfect, with Buffy gone, we have sort of this power vacuum. Yep. And the girls are all about – I mean, there's that great bit about parliamentary procedure (laughs) – Yes. Which Bless I, I kind of love. Yeah. I sort of love. But there is there's this whole thing about, well, who's going to lead and how is this person going to lead? And it's going to look different. Yeah. So I do want to say, just um, starting with the shaky cam stuff, it did, it did annoy me in that scene in particular, even though on TV it doesn't annoy me as much as it does in film. And I did understand what it was meant to to represent they do it again at the end of the episode i feel much more effectively but for the same with the same group and for the same reason but i feel like it works better at the end of the episode than it did here but i agree with you on that and i'm sorry i know i'm interrupting you um at the end though it's also that the scene is so dark right yeah that i think it i think the shaky cam kind of heightens how uh, what a stressful environment yeah. it is. I don't think it works as well at the beginning. Right. I mean, they use it to to demonstrate and enhance the whole chaotic feeling of both of right. those scenes. But 
yeah, it, it's much more appropriate at the end than it was here. I do want to say, leaving aside the handheld camera work, um, the the chaos in this opening scene, the chaos left behind while the potentials are trying to figure out what do we do now, um, it's satisfyingly chaotic. <laughs> I, That's nice. I, uh, I enjoyed the scene itself. Um, I've spent more time maybe than I expected sort of taking up for Kennedy because Kennedy, I guess I should have, I, it's not more time than I expected because I'm always for the underdog and everybody hates Kennedy. So I have to stick up for her, but um, <laughs> I'm actually not a fan of how she handles this whole Buffy thing. Yeah. Okay. Here's the thing, Paul. Bring it, get serious. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. <laughs> Okay. I'm not, because deep in your heart, you know you're wrong. (laughs) You don't need me to tell you. Ouch, man. (laughs) I I have to admit, I'm part of the non-Kennedy camp. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. Most people are. Most people are. There are are some things about that character that just make me roll my eyes. Okay. Um, She's not, heaven knows she's not the worst character on, in the Whedonverse, she's not the worst written character. Right. But she does have her moments where she comes across as just a spoiled brat. Yeah, the, these episodes would be them, for me, at least. And, yeah, these episodes would be them. Or I should, say, fair, I should say touched and empty, empty places from empty places. our last and discussion. To, to be fair, though, I mean, the girl does have some... She does have skills. She is a potential. Yeah. So I, I try to keep that in mind, too. And I, I was trying, oh, gosh, I was trying to kind of examine why she bugs me so much. Uh-huh. And I, to me, it really did come back down to she, she's behaving like a brat. Yeah. And she's behaving like a brat when the world's about to end. Yeah. I'm- There's... There's not time for this. I'm almost more annoyed with Willow and the way. So in empty places, when the whole, when they all confronted Buffy and Kennedy was very upfront and confrontational and Willow was very quiet and meek behind Kennedy, but she took Kennedy's side. Yes. That was surprising and a tad bit annoying. It's way more annoying in this episode where mm-hmm. Kennedy continues to be going off, flying off at the handle, and all Willow can do is say, "You're pushing too hard, sweetie," or whatever. You're pushing too hard, sweetie. Willow. Yeah. Willow. Willow. I I get it. I get passivity has been something that Willow has dealt with before, and mm-hmm. I understand that she's in a, a an uncomfortable place. But in this episode in particular, some of her meekness and passivity kind of bugs me and that I'm was one of them I, um, I, i'm there with you and i mean keeping in mind willow is a character who when willow takes charge bad things happen <laughs> right yes i mean willow is not a person who really has a happy medium well i would argue she used to have a happy medium before the whole dark willow thing happened like pre-season five maybe it started to get hazy in season four, I guess, but I, I think, the, and I do, I think some of this is writer room problems. Mm-hmm. Oh, Hey puppy. They were, they could figure out what to do with 
a strong female character as the lead because that's what Buffy's all about. And they could figure out what to do with strong supporting characters. But you get to a point where Willow and Buffy are almost co-equal prior to Dark Willow. Mm -hmm. And that just, I thought it worked, but maybe the writers thought it didn't. They didn't know where to put their energy. Yeah. But yeah, she's just being a little too mushmouthed for my taste. Well, the Kennedy thing, the Kennedy thing in this opening scene that really, that really butters my biscuit. I don't know. I was looking for some sort of weird euphemism to use there, and that came out very <gasps> wrong. Anyways, um, is the fact that she was one of the she was one of the loudest voices in favor of like kicking Buffy out of dethroning right. Buffy. Uh, wanting to democratize the whole process. And minutes later in this episode, she's like, I just, she she starts talking about, you know, whether seniority should play any role in who gets to be in charge. um, As if implying that, you know, I've been here longer than most of these girls. Maybe I should be in charge. Exactly. No. Um, There, I, I did notice there was something I did want to point out. And honestly, 2020 is just that year. <laughs> um, watching this episode and watching this argument that they're having, there's this great bit where Faith says something about being tired mm-hmm. and not making this big, important decision when they're tired. Mm-hmm. And I think having that being said and having the other comment about parliamentary procedure <laughs> I was just thinking to myself, if only Congress would take this approach. Right. Yeah. It's late and we're all tired. Let's go. To, let's try this again in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, this is also a time where the rules don't apply. Buffy's out. Uh, she's been kicked out of her home. She's been abandoned by her friends. She's kind of walking the streets of Sunnydale trying to find a place to crash goes into a house and essentially kicks out the homeowner. It's what all the cool kids are doing. It's what all the cool kids are doing. And they, I mean, that just makes it clear the rules no longer apply. Mm-hmm. The The normal social compact doesn't apply. The normal, and I'm putting that in air quotes, the normal ability of Sunnydale to pretend that everything is okay no longer applies the rules have just changed. Yeah. So you are going to see people acting in ways that aren't like their usual way of acting. Mm-hmm. And I, I get that you're in this time of, of unsettled change, but you don't know what you're changing into. That being said, Kennedy still annoys me. <laughs> That's totally fair. There we go. <laughs> totally fair. Um, all right. Well, there is, um, there is some comeuppance for, I mean, we get the, we get a counterpoint to that opening obnoxious scene with everybody mm. vying for power when Spike comes back. <laughs> Love the scene when Spike so, oh, comes up. One on. thing I noticed that, and I've watched these episodes, I don't even know how many times. And one of the things I love about Buffy in particular is I always find things I hadn't seen before. Right. And there is that great scene between uh, Spike and Faith. Uh-huh. And if you look in the background, 
on a shelf is that football helmet that gets used as the motorcycle helmet. Right. That gets used as a motorcycle helmet. Okay. Yeah. That is always when Spike is behaving like a big brother. Okay. You know, whether right. it's Dawn behind him or whether it's Andrew behind him. Right. Yeah. Where he's behaving in a way that is very protective mm-hmm. and very decent. And it was just smack in the middle of the screen. And I never noticed that before. I did not notice. I didn't notice that. And, you know, there you have Spike and Faith going at it. And Spike is acting like he's, he is, he's acting like the big brother, trying to put the the siblings in their place, trying to be protective and trying to be decent. Yeah. And I I will say, he's not happy. I will say the thing that I love about the scene is his attitude, like when he comes in. Uh, and again, we see Willow being very meek and mm-hmm. submissive. I mean, it's a little more humorous when she's talking to Spike, but it's still just one more example in these episodes of her being very quiet and understated and everything. Um, and his whole practice that speech for a long time, did you? Or whatever. Did you? Um, but I love his attitude of calling them out as, you know, ungrateful traitors and she saved your life all these times and whatever. Um, I'm a little iffy on whether we actually needed the spike and faith thing to come down to physical blows. I, that felt like maybe just an, they were taking an opportunity to throw a little bit of action into an episode. That's pretty talk heavy. And it is talk heavy. And I also am thinking to myself, you know, because we've we've had these references in past episodes about how Xander has to fix everything in the house yeah. that gets broken. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, Xander has to be going. I don't even have depth perception. Stop <laughs> right. it. Right. I was. I Im- gotta fix that. I was impressed that near as I could tell, the only thing they broke flinging each other around was that was that like bowl of fun. fruit or something on the table. Yeah. The table didn't even break. I was. So anyways, uh, what I did like about that fight, what I did like about the physical fight is that is how short it was and how at the very end, um, I mean, Spike obviously throws up his hands and just walks out of the house. But and and Faith was a little confused by that. But you could just tell that Faith wasn't really. Faith didn't really want to be doing this either. No, It's not. Neither one of them are bringing their A game. Yeah. Yeah. At that point. Um, so. This is also, right after that, you have that great scene about the spell to get the bringer to talk. Right. Thank, I love the fact that Dawn just continues to be the idea person. <laughs> I, know. I know. Don't get me wrong. When Dawn is first introduced, she's a whiny teenager. <laughs> I, know. I get it. I know. Um, and I think it's the difference between Kennedy and Dawn for me. Dawn starts out being whiny, but she grows. Right. Bless her heart, we don't really give Kennedy enough time. I mean, but she suffers from coming in at the very end. She does. Yeah. She does. So you do, you have the, and, and I, I said in the last uh, episode of this podcast that I am convinced that Tom Link is a national treasurer who doesn't get enough credit. Absolutely. For, for how he plays Andrew. And it's in this scene where. He's the one who's talking for the bringer. I I adore that scene. I love that I scene love so that much. Scene. 
and everything about his physicality changes. Mm-hmm. He's he's hunched in. He's super still. I'm not at all sure he blinks. Right. The Maybe. cadence of his voice changes. The volume changes. Yep. Everything about him. And honestly, Link sells that. Yeah, I agree. And I had forgotten how much I love that scene. I also... Because you know we're going to talk about Caleb. Oh, yeah. You know we're going to talk about Caleb. Oh, yeah. The bringer refers to Caleb as the teacher. Uh-huh. And what hit me about that is the bringers are the disciples. In my analogy here, yeah, yeah. Christ is also referred to as a teacher. Okay. So, again, it's another one of those hideous inversions mm-hmm. or, or corruptions of the the Christian faith that he wears the collar of, right, but doesn't actually have any actual belief in. But um, I do think it's Whedon getting in some wax at, at organized religion and doing it well. That's fair. It's fair. Um, all right. Well, let's talk about Caleb. Let's talk about Caleb. Let's talk about Caleb. Um, the okay. Explain. Someone explain to me, because okay. <laughs> maybe I just missed it. Maybe I'm being willfully obtuse. But uh, explain to me what Caleb's plan for uncovering the scythe was all about. Got me. If they, I mean, I can make something up. Well, I mean, you know, I could pretend that at some point they suggested he was going to use it for himself, or he that they could use it to strengthen the first or something, but I don't remember any comment about like that ever being made. I don't know. I, I think part of it, and I don't know, but I think it is reasonable to assume a couple of things. One, he knows the scythe is super powerful. Mm-hmm. He knows that. He also knows from the uh, mission it is not for thee. It is for her alone to wield. Right. The idea that anything belongs to a woman that he can't have. <laughs> yeah. This is not something that Caleb is going to take very graciously. So I think there's that, too. Not to mention, it's really pretty. <laughs> I mean, it is, but it, it just ultimately, and I, I'm sure that this is, most times this is intentional, but it just, it, it, he's, he's hoisted upon his own petard. <laughs> he, if they, if they yeah. just hadn't, and this episode makes it clear that it's Caleb's plan, not the firsts, because right. even the first is like, are you sure this is a good idea? She can't get right. this. You know what happens if she gets this. If they just hadn't dug it up in the first place, Buffy would literally never have known about it. So you got a couple of things going on here, though. One, you have Caleb not, you know, in some ways, I think the first mistake is is appearing as a woman mm. to Caleb. I, I really do. I, I think part of it is Caleb cannot conceive of a woman being right and him being wrong. Fair. Yeah, I believe that. I really think that's part of it. And the first appears to him as Buffy. Right. So, you know, might be a miscalculation on the first part. Also, okay, 
I, I go back to something that J. Michael Straczynski said in Babylon 5 mm-hmm. when he was asked once about how fast a particular ship could travel. And because, you, you know, you know, science fiction folks really get into that. Right. Okay. The whole parsec not being a dist- <laughs> it, okay. OK, you know that. I know that. So he gets asked once how fast this particular ship could travel. And he gave the best answer I've ever heard, which is as fast as the plot needs it to. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So some of this, honestly, is a delivery from Plot Convenience Warehouse. Right. I mean... And for God's sakes, it is the sword in the stone. She even makes a comment about King Arthuring yeah. the scythe. And, and Spike has made reference, a couple references to um, Monty Python, including holy in this... He calls it the Holy Hand Grenade, which is another King Arthur reference. Mm-hmm. Um, it's... I struggle with whether or not to consider the scythe a deus ex machina, and I'm gonna I'm gonna come down on the side of it is a deus ex machina for for a couple of reasons. But okay. like it was introduced in Frey, which was published at least a year before this, I think. I don't remember when. Let me see original published date. I've got it sitting right here. Um, Honestly, that sounds right. I th- yeah, I don't think um, it was before to- season seven. Uh, well, first edition, November 2003 is what this says. Yeah, but that still means it was written before this. Well, you know and this is the collected. It must be the, because, yeah, I don't feel like, I mean, I had read Frey before the Scythe ever, show, Scythe ever showed up in the show. So. Me too. Anyways, the point is, Joss had obviously planted the seed of this thing. Yeah, early, but only for the people who had read the tie-in comic. Um, in terms of if you're just watching the show and only the show, this stuff really is kind of just crammed in in the last few episodes, including, yeah. and we'll talk about this when we get into the next one, the whole Guardians thing. Oh yeah, yeah, we will get to that. Yeah, it's just it's just one. Any one of them on their own, I could have ignored and not, it wouldn't have annoyed me at the whole Deus Ex Machina of it, but multiple things are just being dropped in the last minute. <laughs> and They are. And I'm, I'm really glad, actually, that you mentioned that because these last few episodes really start to feel like a greatest hits. Yeah. The mayor comes back. Yes. I mean, yay. Don't get me wrong. Love him. Yes. Yes. But you you do. And, and shall we go ahead and spoil the big one that's in uh, uh, End of Days? Sure. Angel comes back. Yeah. I mean, of course, he, he had to. And, you know, Faith came back just two episodes earlier. We, it really does feel like we're doing let's get the band back together. Right. And I don't I mean, I love this show. Mm hmm. I love these characters. I love seeing them again. I got some problems with how Angel comes back, and we'll get into that. <laughs> oh, I had a surprising. Oh, I, I had a surprising reaction to when he pops up in the next episode. I was it was a fist pump moment for me, which surprises okay. me because I absolutely am not a Angel, and I I don't think the show needed him to come back. But 
still. I am I have become such a huge fan of Angel thanks to yeah. his own series that when he popped up I was like, Hell yes. <laughs> well, and again, he's coming back to tie up a loose end. Yeah. I mean, not just not just the character, but I mean the writers, I think. And to provide to another Deus ex machina. Exactly. Um Yeah, we got yeah. <laughs> I do, before we move past uh, the mayor, I do want to point out uh, this little piece of trivia that I uh, found, uh, supposedly from Cult Times number 95 from August of does 2003. It, does it involve miniature golf? No, I don't think so. <laughs> don't you remember that with the mayor? No, what? Oh, when he says to Faith something about everything looks so dark and so dreary. I can, but I have two words that'll cheer you up: miniature golf. Okay, I do. Yeah, yeah. It's always about that. Just no, I don't know. Maybe maybe he was playing mini golf. I don't know. But uh, supposedly Harry Grainer—that's how you say his name, right? Grainer. I think so. Okay, Harry Grainer. Um, they had wanted him to come back earlier, but he was. Uh, there were scheduling problems. He was doing a play in New York and wasn't available for anything after. 701 after lessons. Uh-huh. Um and he came back into town into Los Angeles in mid-February 2003 and his wife suggested since you're back maybe you should let the Buffy people know in case they f- have a use for you. Um and so they he let them know and they were like yes, I think we have a spot where we can add you in. So he let them know just in time oh my gosh. to get this one final cameo. So That is lovely. So I was just happy to see, you know, a one final turn with Mayor Richard Wilkins III. I always liked the mayor. Tremendous as a character. Oh, he's great. And it's appropriate that since Faith is here, she needs to have her own run in with the first. And of course, of course, it would be it would appear as the mayor. Right. Who else? Yeah. Um, There's no one else. Um, The only other one that would have. That would have been interesting, mm-hmm. although I think the mayor would have been better because of the history. Mr. Trick? Uh, no, although oh, no. Oh, no, that's not who she killed. It was the... Alan Price? Yeah, so, yeah something Alan, like that. The mayor, Alan the, the deputy mayor? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if it had been that actor. That would have been awesome. That could have been, in fact... Awesome. I mean, if they couldn't um, get and, Harry and it's Grainer, it's so clear that it's it's so clear that it's working. I mean, the the yeah. first as the mayor is really getting into her head. Yeah, this is a good way to transition us into the whole. Uh, let's talk about sex. Okay. <laughs> because it kind of starts right here. I like that Robin is the one that mm-hmm. you know comes in and and realizes that she just had her first experience with the first, and he's like, "Well, you're in the game now." <laughs> Like the first only does that if he thinks you're somehow important. And I like their conversation and it, the, the way that it transitions into the whole, um, what does she say? Getting Wrigley or whatever. Is that how she describes it to, to Buffy later? I think that's right. Oh man. I think you're right. The way it transitions to that is very, is all within character, I think. So the, the sort of, sex scene or the intimacy scene that comes between them. I really like that because it's a nice balance of faith 
feeling sort of scared and out of her depth. Uh-huh. But also she he says you're the boss and it's also like her having a chance to take control of something something she feels comfortable with. Right. Um Yeah. So I mean I I liked the interactions with those two. I always did like the the Faith Robin Wood mm-hmm. interactions. Um DB Woodside, yes. I think. Yes. Plays Robin. And he gets some good he gets some good development as a character as well. And this being the son of a slayer, I always thought was I remember that revelation which had me kind of going, What? <laughs> yeah. Because you don't think about a slayer being a mom. Right. So you have you have that going on, you have that magnificent speech. Spike is getting some good speeches here. Yeah. In this yeah. episode, he he gets at least two just in this episode, and another one in the next one, and another one in the next one. But this is that great bit about re- him really seeing Buffy, right? Yeah, and knowing who she is. Um, and it's just interesting because for for Buffy, this is such a scene of vulnerability, and you know, we usually see Buffy being quippy and strong and, and smart ass, even in these last couple episodes, because it is so much a part of who she is, but we forget that the vulnerability is part of her too. There's, there's great stuff that comes out of both sides of that conversation or that speech or whatever. Obviously Spike's whole, you know, when I say I love you, it's not because I want something. It's not because I want you or, you know, I, I don't want something from you. I love you for the person you are, so on and so forth. You're a hell of a woman. I mean, that whole thing. And watching Sarah Michelle Gellar's response to that with the tear just quietly rolling down her cheek, that was all super yeah. powerful. And um, But even Buffy gets a great moment in there where she's acknowledging that um, she's always put herself at a distance no matter whether yeah. she acknowledged it or not. And she's like, you know, being the slayer made me different, but it's my fault. I stayed that way. I stayed that way. It's right. a great line. It's a great line. And um, I love that kind of realization that she has. And earlier in that scene, she has that great line where she says no to spy, um, spike and says, you, you, you really have problems with that word. <laughs> yes. I'm glad they didn't make a bigger deal out of that than they did, but yeah. You know. But I, I think it's important that that's in there. Right. That that line is there. So you have, um, you know, they're curled up in bed together. They even have their shoes on I know. still. I know. You know, everybody else is flinging clothes all over the place. <laughs> yep. They don't even take their shoes off. And it is. It's just very sweet, mm-hmm. if I can use that word. Uh, then you have, of course, Anya and Xander first bonding over ice cream. I support that scene. <laughs> that then, of course, turns into a roll in the hay. And yeah, you have it's... Willow and Kennedy with the whole kite and kite string speech. <laughs> so I want to talk about that one. Go for it. Since 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 we're allowing for the whole bashing on Kennedy thing. Um, I'm not going to bash on Kennedy for this, but it was that scene was very weird. It was sweet. Like, that was a very sweet scene. Um, It was good to get one more opportunity to see Willow, you know, in a 
have a sort of moment of happiness, although she was still being super meek and passive about the whole thing. Yeah. But there were so many references to restraint and tethers and all that, that I really yes. thought, I really thought we were heading into some sort of bondage scene. <laughs> well, there, there's all of that. And then I got to admit for, for me, I'm also thinking with that whole, you can float and I'll be the one who brings you back to earth. I, I couldn't help but think some writer was going, this is my version of the yellow crayon speech. <laughs> It's my moment. Well, this was written by Rebecca Rand Kirshner, and I think this is the last. I think this is the last uh, writing she gets on the series. So only maybe two episodes to go. Maybe I know. I, it's pretty easy for me to think that since she didn't write the next one, and I don't think she wrote Chosen. No, I think Chosen's all we. I think it's all Joss. Yeah. Um, anyways, yeah. Since this was her last shot at the title. She probably did want to go out swinging. She probably did. She probably did want to throw her uh, yellow crayon speech in there. It's a shame. It's a shame if that was what she wanted to be her yellow crayon speech because it's not great. But yeah, it really comes across as heavy-handed, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure it wasn't meant that way. And maybe I've just become old and cynical, which okay, I have. <laughs> but uh, yeah, to me, it just it it clunks. I maintain that I don't hate the character of Kennedy, and I certainly don't hate the actress Yari Lyman. Uh, but I, I just don't buy the chemistry between Willow, Willow and Kennedy. I may oh. like the character of Kennedy, but the chemistry between the two of them is not enough for me. So, and okay, so I agree with you. By the way, um, it, I, d I don't think those two have have the chemistry that you need to pull it off mm -hmm. and okay i'll be the one to say it go for it i know everybody grieves and moves on in their own way and i know that there's not a playbook and i know right. that this is also television and not real life right <laughs> go ahead This is not where I saw Willow going. Yeah. Would you have preferred to see her not have another relationship on the series after Tara? I don't know. I just know I don't like this one. Is I, that fair? It, and, is, and it is. Some of it is probably the chemistry. Uh, the chemistry absolutely plays a factor, but I think I lean towards, because uh, one of my biggest complaints about the season is how crammed it feels and how rushed yeah. and how n yeah. any one of these storylines could have been great, but they tried to do all of these storylines and there's right. just too much. And so that includes introducing Kennedy so quickly and having this relationship come up so quickly um, that like, I don't say... I wish Willow hadn't gotten another relationship because I want her to suffer or that she could no. never, she could never have another relationship after Tara. That's okay. not what I mean. I'm just saying in this season on camera, I kind of wish season seven hadn't introduced a new love interest for her. Right. I I'm with you on that. I think if they had had more time yeah. to explore this, I might feel differently. I think even if this had been something of 
oh my god tomorrow we might all die right let's let's feel something tonight yeah which is basically what everybody else was doing which is what everybody else is doing that i think i could have bought yeah but the idea that this is actually uh, i i don't like it (laughs) no sir don't like it I don't like it. And you may quote me on that. <laughs> um, um, but I don't. And and I think coupled with the fact that I don't think the two actresses have chemistry, yeah. it just feels forced. It does. It does. And that it's really hard to say this about um, Alison Hannigan because uh, she's gotten so much well-deserved praise from everybody, including me, all the way up through season six. That mm-hmm. um, even the most sort of awkwardly written scenes or whatever, like Alison Hannigan could sell pretty much anything, even if the yeah. lines that were written for her weren't always fantastic. Mm-hmm. She always brought true emotion to any scene she was in. And I don't know what if there's anything behind the scenes at this moment that is contributing to this. But in this season, it hasn't quite felt that way. No. And for and I have no idea if I'm right, but my take on this is they were trying to cram so much yeah. in yeah. that some things just got crammed. Yeah. And in some places, I think that becomes pretty obvious that things are just being rushed and compressed and corners are being cut. Um, and I don't... And I, I think they're just kind of hoping if they... If they do it fast enough and they do enough shaky cam, that you won't notice. There you go. That's the secret. Um, I want to point out one thing. So while we're talking about all these characters coupling, I said that the first and Caleb, even though they don't technically couple until the next episode, uh-huh. they get their scene in the whole love montage. Yeah. And I thought that scene was important. It's important to me because it ratifies <laughs> something that I've been saying about the first this whole season it sort of ratifies that character's narrative impotence by making by referencing their metaphorical impotence that he she it envies humans their ability to touch and And all that to feel and uh and you know clearly she would like he she it would like to have that ability as well but can't so far i don't know i just thought the writers probably didn't intend this, but I was like, yeah, you're impotent. You're an impotent big bad, and I haven't liked you this whole season. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe I'm about to say this. Uh-oh. You're right. <laughs> oh, stop. <laughs> oh, stop. But but you are. It is that in my notes, I even wrote down something about how we all want what we can't have. Yeah. Yeah. And that is absolutely the uh the core of the character of the first yeah that's absolutely at the core of it and the fact that you use the word impotent in this sex montage sex and intimacy i'll put it that way Mm -hmm. sex and intimacy montage i don't think that's accidental yeah i mean in theory they could have had that same speech over a montage of everyone going to the espresso pump and having pumpkin spice lattes. 
The town's abandoned. No one is manning the espresso bar. Let's go. No one's manning the espresso bar. We gotta go. All that caffeine unguarded. Over this montage of sex and intimacy. Yeah. Yeah. With, you know, Caleb there just practically salivating (laughs) at the idea of how humans are unworthy. Yeah. You know, they're sinners, your sin. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I do. I, I, I think Caleb occasionally, every now and again, Caleb just sort of sums it all up. And I think he does it there, and I think he does it there well. All right. All right let's talk about the final scenes sure. in this episode. Sure. Um, this, so this goes into the books as being among my favorite of the cross-cut fight sequences that the oh, series really? has ever done uh-huh. um, because they're so complementary and and diametrically opposed. I mean, the, the Buffy versus Caleb scene, um, mm-hmm. it's very fast, it's dynamic, it's clearly defined, um, it's well shot and well lit. Um, yes, it is so well choreographed. I love the, all the parkour stuff with her jumping over barrels and running along the wall. And yeah, just... there really is some cool stuff in that scene. And if you weren't going to light it well, there'd be no point. Right, right. Of doing all the flash. And that part of it doesn't use shaky cam, doesn't right. use handheld cam. Nope. But then you cut to the you intercut with the other fight, uh, Faith and the Potentials versus the Bringers. It's very dark, almost impossible to make out any details. Uh, it is handheld, very shaky cam. Um, it's very confused and chaotic with lots of um, disorienting flashlight flares. Yes. So I love and the way those two go together. I, I both get the whole flashlight thing, and it definitely gives you a different look to it. Mm-hmm. And the other part of me is going, you're incapacitating yourself. <laughs> I know. I you know. have a flashlight in one hand. Yeah. Did you I, not think about this? I did find myself wondering as, cause you couldn't really see much of the fight at all, but you heard lots of like grunting and punching and sounds of fights. Um, and I did find myself wondering how many of these girls are punching the bringers with the flashlight? How many of them are using these flashlights? Cause there's flashlight beams cutting everywhere. Right. Obviously everybody has a flashlight. It's like an X-Files ray. I isn't know it? somebody had X-Files envy, man. Somebody yeah. had X Files envy. So much lens flare going on in that scene, but oh yeah. But I have to admit, I I like what you point out about how the two are intercut so well, mm-hmm. and how they are echoes of each other. Mm-hmm. Does that work to call it that? I yeah. mean, it's a it's not a sound thing as much as it's visual. But the, but they are. They're again. They're flip sides of each other. Maybe I mean, that's a better way of Buffy's putting it. Buffy's fight with Caleb is very controlled. She's in charge the entire way. She goes in with a plan. Knows exactly what she's going to do. Oh yeah, and she even embarrasses Caleb in front of the first. Yeah, absolutely. Which is sort of awesome. It is. Can you not look like her? <laughs> it's very distracting. Um. Yeah, and the other fight is very not controlled at all and you know faith and the squad are going in to find an arsenal they find it mm-hmm. only dun, dun, dun. <sighs> those darn bringers <sighs> and the uh the literal ticking clock at the end of the episode 
tick, 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 tick. And we finally see the scythe. Yes. At the very end of this is where we actually see the scythe in the rock. Yes. And I don't know about you, but clearly it's some kind of mystical rock. <laughs> yeah, it looked like the rock it was actually in looked like obsidian almost. Which I'm pretty sure you can break with those tools that... Obsidian's pretty I mean, it's, fragile. It's volcanic glass. Yeah, so I'm sure it's not actually obsidian, but you're right. But it's, you know, mystical and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But we get that gives us a great moment in the opening of the next episode. But Absolutely. But this one closes with... Oh, I mean, the scythe is just as beautiful as you could have imagined. If you've read Frey, which I know you have, yeah. um, I mean, you see like that is established in the comic early on and it is such a cool it is such a cool looking weapon and i'm impressed with how well they translated it into a physical prop i am too um i actually have earrings that are scythe earrings awesome and those things have got to be four inches long (laughs) awesome i mean it's one of those things that i tend to only wear at weeding events right yeah although i'm starting to think about wearing them to midterms (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> go for it's it it's been that kind of year yeah exactly um so shall we just go straight on into end of days here? yeah we'll follow that countdown straight into the next episode okay so we we do we have whole eight seven six and it's a foot locker apparently full of c4 mm-hmm. again how tough are the potentials as tough as the plot needs them to be yeah yeah now, you could say Faith takes the brunt of that, but there are at least two potentials there sort of side by side with her. And I can't, tra- yeah. it, it was hard to keep track of who was, who was what in that fight because it was so dark and everything. And it also, it doesn't bring down the entire vineyard into a crater. Right. Yeah. But beside, aside from that, aside from the fact that like they clearly show us with the explosion, at least three faith and two of the potentials are like right there and are actually blasted right. back by the explosion itself. Um, I actually really like this opening scene because, well, that opening scene, the, the, the real opening scene, hang on, hang on. Correct me if I'm wrong here. Always. The first, thank you. The first thing <laughs> that we see is the potentials, right? It's not Buffy. No, no. The very first thing we see is Buffy lifting out the side. Okay, okay. So and that. Kayla, it's a super short, cold open. Yes, yes. Because she lifts the side like it's, like it's in butter. Yeah. And Caleb freaks out. So I liked that cold open. I liked that scene because it finally gives Nathan Fillion one of the his most distinctly Malcolm Reynolds line deliveries when he's like darn <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's so like hmm darn I, and I love the fact that he's berating her he's like uh you think you can pull that thing out of solid stone before I can come over there and she just easily lifts it out without even trying and he's like hmm darn darn <laughs> um yeah. And then you have the first appear kind of whispering to, well, not whispering, saying to Buffy or saying to Caleb. Let her go. Let her go. You know, let her go. She's got friends. And that great line, Faith Go Boom. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering. So I've watched this episode twice. I've okay. watched these two episodes twice to prep for this. And on my second watch, I 
was trying to pay attention because it was hard to tell if Buffy was seeing the first in that scene. And I don't think she was initially when it first, when the first shows up and is like, let her go. Um, you know, you'll, you'll get it back from her later or whatever. I think Buffy can tell that he's talking to the first, but she can't see the first. I think you're right. And then when it's when the first says, uh, she has friends who are in trouble or something like that. It cuts to Buffy's face and you hear the first voice with a sort of echoey thing. And I think uh-huh. the first was allowing her to hear that at that moment. And then when she steps around Caleb and says, faith go boom, I think she saw the first there. I think you're right. Uh, and then she disappears again. So, and then she, she disappears and you know, Buffy goes tearing off. Now we're at our potentials. Right. You and know, uh, gathering up all the wounded and climbing over, artfully stacked debris yeah so so i do like that scene because uh i think it's i think it's well done i think there's enough fear and confusion to be realistic without necessarily dipping back into the whole whiny and annoying thing that the potentials have been had problem with yeah i actually like that scene um and there's they're also just competent and brave enough to make me actually like upset that we haven't gotten this version of them before yeah, it's like all of their training is finally kicking in. Yeah. So And they're operating as a unit. Right. And when the first of the the Uber vamps shows up and they all I, I just Squeal. I thought all the reactions were great. Like they scream and they're terrified, obviously, but they all go over get it into one side and you know, Kennedy tells them to get ready, remember your training or whatever. And I will, props to Kennedy. She does say, Remember your training, and then another Turakhan, another Uber vamp, jumps her from behind scares yeah. the crap out of her because she didn't know it was there but she immediately flips it flips him <laughs> she, so i was so like I, okay was like, i'll right. give kennedy props for that i yeah i i have to do that yeah um, and then you have this gorgeous scene where buffy kind of literally drops in to save the day right and we see the scythe in action one hit one kill and it's just this wonderful lethal ballet yeah and i personally really dig seeing how the scythe works yeah cause, because uh, we've established that uber vamps can be killed but that they're really hard to kill right and then all of a sudden okay we we have a level playing field here yeah yeah and it is it is good to i i said last week i was going to try and reread Frey before this conversation that I, I've, I've pulled it out. It's right here, but I haven't reread it yet. <laughs> um, so I don't remember how, how well it's represented in there, the way it's the way to use it in a fight, like how it works physically in a fight. But I did like the choreography there showing her being able to use the ax part of it and then spin it around and stab with the stake and, and stab with the, with the other end. But so that was all very still cool. learning how to use it. Right. Right. You know, really, she just got it 30 seconds ago. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so then, of course, you know, we, we, okay, one of my favorite scenes in the entire series is in this episode. Oh, okay. Which doesn't happen for a little while, but it's when they're tending the wounded at the house uh-huh. and Andrew and Anya decide to go in a hospital room. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, when we get to the scene in the hospital. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. It is just one of my all-time favorite scenes out of seven seasons. I have, I've mentioned this several times on this podcast, 
Uh, and I'm ashamed to say I have never bothered to go back and look it up and see if I can find it. But at the last slayage, maybe you'll remember because you were there. At the last slayage, somebody presented a paper on Anya and like her, her arc across the series and how important she was. And I have famously been someone who's like, I like Anya. I mean, I don't dislike the character, but she's never been one that stands out to me. She's not one of my like favorite characters, but that paper that the person presented uh -huh. brought me to tears and it, it led up to this whole, well, obviously, I mean, it leads up to chosen and what happens there, but like this scene was included in that paper, right. um, like her finding and embracing her own humanity and, you know, there's a lot of Anya that is comic relief, mm -hmm. and that's and that's fine. You know, you know her her bluntness is even more so than Cordelia's in the first couple episodes or first couple seasons. And a lot of a lot of times it's played for comic relief, especially when it's coupled with her just absolute greed. Mm -hmm. But between her speech in the body about not understanding. Yeah. And then her scene in End of Days. I, I, she just becomes an absolute linchpin to how this group operates. I agree. Emma Caulfield totally sells that. Yeah. And she totally, just like she does in the body. Mm -hmm. She, and that's an episode I know that for a lot of people is still a difficult one to watch because there's something just so raw and visceral about it. Yeah. Now it, in end of days, her hospital scene speech isn't the same, but it's still in the same neighborhood. I think I would say the, the only thing about this Anya speech, which hang on, I think in my notes, I wrote down, so I want to quote the most pertinent part of it. She says, um, and they have no purpose that unites. She's talking about how crazy humans are. Yeah. They have no purpose that unites them. So they just drift around blundering through life until they die, which they know is coming. Yet every single one of them is surprised when it happens to them. They're incapable of thinking about what they want beyond the moment. They kill each other, which is clearly insane. And yet here's the thing. When it's something that really matters, they fight. I mean, they're lame morons for fighting, but they do. They never never quit. So I guess I'll keep fighting too. The only thing that frustrates me about that is that just reminds us that she deserves better. <laughs> she, she doesn't get the ending that I feel like she deserves. I, you will have other people who speak to that. Yeah. Next week. Yes. I will just say, I agree. Okay. And yet her death has meaning. Yes. I mean, there's I a... don't know that that makes it a quote, good death. Can we bring Firefly into this? Sure. Yeah. Go for it. Man, it's wash. <laughs> oh my God. Too soon. No, I didn't know you were going there too soon. Sorry. Sorry. Too soon. But oh, it, but it man. is. It's it's that whole thing of she's learned she's learned her lesson. She's grown. She and we want there to be a reward and there just isn't one because life is fucking unfair. And that's 
you know, it's crazy because as a writer, I I acknowledge that, I accept it, I even incorporate it into the stuff, the stories that I want to tell. Um, sure. But as a fan, I'm like, God damn it, that's that's just not fair. I am so with you on that. And and I think maybe the unfairness of it in me, in my mind, is focused less on the fact that she does die and that she doesn't... Uh, we could debate whether she gets a big heroic moment because she does actually save Andrew. She does. She does. Um, but it has less to do with that, less to do with sort of how she dies and uh-huh. more to do with her send off is really succinct. Like if I remember, and, and I'll see if yeah. my opinion on this changes when I rewatch chosen for next week. But my memory of it is that Andrew, who seems really moved by her death, tells Xander, you know, she didn't make it, but she was really brave or whatever. And Xander's only reaction is he kind of nods his head like, yeah, that sounds like her or whatever. I don't remember him getting all choked up. It didn't feel like there was any moment of sitting with the fact that Anya had just lost her life. Yeah. I've always, and I've always liked to think that that happens off stage. Yeah. You know, because they do still need to get out right yeah yeah but i've i've always in my head that's always happened off stage later but you know we don't all get the send-off like buffy does in season five i know where spike breaking down is where i just start to not just like him but to absolutely love him absolutely i mean really that's where it happens and yeah, Anya deserves better, but also we're getting we're in these past couple episodes, we're really getting set up for some stuff. We're getting all those lines about when you lead when you lead them into battle, they're going to be casualties. War what is it? War is senseless and stupid death. Mm-hmm. I think is one of the lines. Yeah. It has to matter. They can't just be nameless girls who die. Right. That, that, that's cheap. And heaven knows Whedon has no problem killing our favorite characters. No, seriously. Seriously. Um, um, even with things going on off stage or, or contract negotiations or whatever, Whedon has no problem. Yeah. And I, I do think that's important because it it, it lets you know that there are actual stakes involved here. <laughs> stakes. <laughs> I didn't even mean it. But that's what happens every time I say talk about somebody's potential. Oh, every time I'm like, God I know, I know we can't help it, can we? No. Um but there are actual costs. Right. And I think oh. that's one thing that sets Whedon apart. I, I get it. I hate Whedon for it, but I get it. <laughs> oh, I do. I do. I absolutely hate him for it. He owes me for a couple of things still. Yes, absolutely he does. He Wash really... is one of them. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. Um, all right. We skipped. We, we skipped a lot. We, we skipped sorry. over at least. Um, hang on. Let's see. Yeah, we did skip over a few things. Let's let me ask you if let me ask you how you read this scene. So there's the scene with so Don, uh, uh, Buffy asks Xander to do something important, but yes. they don't tell us what that is. And right. we later discover that it's please kidnap my sister and drive her far away from here. 
And drugger. And drugger and driver far away from here. I mean, it was still a funny, it, it was still a good scene, the scene between Dawn and Xander. But oh, yeah. in that scene, Dawn gets a throwaway line uh, where she says, let's see, did I quote this? Um, I don't leave crossbows around all willy nilly. Not since that time with <gasps> yes! Miss Kitty Fantastico. Kitty Fantastico. What the unholy hell is that supposed to mean? Okay. In my head. Yes. I have rewritten that. <laughs> okay. To mean that Kitty Fantastico got hold of the crossbow and disappeared for a few weeks to hunt vampires. Oh, I like it. That's okay. where I went with it. Okay. Good. Because I am not accepting that Dawn somehow killed Miss Kitty Fantastico with a crossbow bolt. I am not doing that. That is, okay, again, I either have not read enough of the comics or it's been way too long for the ones that I have read. So if anybody listening is fresh on the comics and knows and they ever explain in the comics that, yes, Miss Kitty Fantastico is still alive... Or if they ever confirm that Don fucking skewered that cat. <laughs> you know what it could be, though? You, you know, it could be something totally different. And I would like confirmation about this. Yeah. Um, but it could be that Don left it laying around and Miss Kitty Fantastico was playing with it. And it was loaded. Yeah. And somebody else got shot. Yes. Or some it. some valuable thing at the magic box or something right yes right, right, right. Now, and and that i could accept much more easily okay i would love to read it that way i mean i would love to read your first your first idea miss kitty fantastico hunting vampires yes i love this yes that's fantastic but anyways when dawn said that i was momentarily horrified and i was like I was too. it had been a while you cannot possibly bring dawn to this level of redemption where i feel like even people who who hate Dawn are starting to kind of get down with it. And then you're like, you subtly reveal, Oh yeah, she killed Miss Kitty Fantastico. You can't possibly yeah. be doing that. I I really think it's more logical that somebody that, you know, the, the kitten fooled around with the mechanism and shot somebody or yeah. shot something. Yeah. Now it would have been, it would have been, he doesn't do this in the scene, but it would have been interesting if after she said that, if you saw Xander like rubbing his hand or something, like it had been shot. Right. Yeah. But but that's not in the scene. Or saying, yeah, like rubbing his butt and saying, yeah, I still yeah. have a scar from that. <laughs> that would have been great. Anyways. Um, but I agree. It's a throwaway line that had me going, what? <laughs> yeah. So that, that old Dawn and Xander thing. Um, has a fantastic resolution. I love the way that that scene ev eventually plays out. Um, by the way, uh -huh. where did Dawn get the taser? I I don't know. I don't so know. So help me, I watched that scene over and over, and I think she just has it in her hand, which makes no sense. Well, I, I mean, mean... I I, haven't, I didn't see her reach for it or anything in the car. Right. But that could have happened when there was a cutaway or something. But 
That kind of bugged me a little. In, in terms of in that actual second where she got it, I don't know. I, I figure that as she was waking up and as she was realizing what was happening or whatever, she kind of reached down. The th- the way I fan wank it in my brain is she had just helped Xander tear through that car looking for stuff. And in one it's scene, true. she like pulls out a sword as if this massive sword has been hiding under the seat or something. So there's well, obviously weapons stashed all over the place in this car she probably saw oh there's a taser down here on the floor that's true that's true but anyways so or she just knows a spell from a turkish spell book to summon a taser (laughs) translation yeah i'm over it i'm over it but anyways the way that scene just mid as she's reading this thing mid narration of what the letter says she just zaps xander and knocks his ass out beautiful I do kind of love that. That's beautiful. Um, so we also kind of bounced over the idea of this is also the episode where Caleb and the first consummate. consummate. Yep. Yep. Get jiggy with it. Yep. <laughs> Which is just kind of creepy. <laughs> um, yeah, they get their uh, their money shot, as it were. Oh. I'll just keep going. I'll just keep going if you let me. And you get those horrible black eyes, and I, I, I just kept thinking, did they just have those contacts left over from Black Willow? Right, right. Um, and they I, said, you only need them in for a few seconds. I'm sure they'll fit. I actually kind of liked that continuity. Like, I suppose I could have rolled my eyes and thought, man, everybody, the shorthand for showing people getting evil and powerful is to give them black eyes find something different but i didn't really i didn't really feel that way i was like that is a sort of a neat moment of uh continuity between dark willow and caleb and i'm certainly not saying that there's any indication the first had anything to do with what was happening with dark willow but Uh -uh. it's that same supercharged evil that she had and that's what caleb is getting right here i don't know i just liked it i thought the parallel between the two was satisfying well, I also thought it was interesting that the way Fillion plays this, uh-huh. that you can tell that the merging, and this is not the first time it's happened. Right. Because she says something about it's been too long, mm-hmm. but clearly they've they've done this before. It's clear that it's painful. Right. That it, that it hurts. He, he's kind of braced for it, but you still see his reaction is one not of ecstasy, but of pain. Mm-hmm. And then ecstasy. Right. Which, I mean, I'm sure the two are wrapped up in his in his brain. Oh, I'm sure of it. Um, man, there's two other pretty important moments that we just skipped right over to get to the hospital oh, scene. I know. Um, we really did. The, the, uh, the scene between Buffy and Faith. Yeah. So Faith was unconscious after the explosion and uh, the potentials drug her out of there. That was cool. Mm -hmm. And she recovers at home. And so we get a a scene with Buffy and Faith in the bedroom with uh, when she shows the scythe to Faith. Too many TH sounds going on here. (laughs) Um, And I really stop. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Does that have a name? That symbol have a name? He didn't. I'm sure it does. He, I need. I want to look that up. Anyways, I'm sure it does, but I don't know. Uh, that was one of those fascinating bits of what I assume is real world information. That, yeah, that yeah. I, I think. I, and honestly, I know I've seen that symbol before. Uh huh. 
whether it's from alchemy or what it, don't ask how I know alchemical symbols. It, uh, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> Move along. Nothing just, to see. Just nothing to see. Move along. Um, but um, I know I've seen that symbol somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just so invested in, in everyone else seeing the redemptive struggle in faith <laughs> the way that I do, that any okay. moment of shared humanity between them is like a drug for me. So the way they were having that conversation and, and even when Buffy was like, plus you went evil and were killing people, just the way it was just kind of almost not admiration, but the way they were being pleasant with each other there. Yeah. And they do. I, I think both actresses also just slip into that so easily. Yeah. yeah. And I, I love actually how just, it seems almost sisterly. Yeah. Absolutely. At that point, I mean, because they they get it. They actually are slayers. Yeah. That weapon was made for them. So in my notes, I referred to this as a little. I I said it felt a little heavy-handed. Um, the sort of foreshadowing that we get in that conversation, but that yeah. might be unfair. So I want to hear your take on it. That conversation is loaded with all sorts of, um. You know, we're slayers are always alone. We carry a burden that we can't share, that we can't all that share. stuff. It's very obvious to me. It's very obvious setup, A, because I know what's coming, and B, because I have feelings about where this all leads. Mm -hmm. It seemed very heavy-handed and foreshadowy, that stuff. But how do you feel? Did it did it feel you right know, to you? I, hmm, I think there's a difference between when I first saw it and when I saw it this time. Mm-hmm. Because when I first saw it, I didn't know how things were going to turn out. Right. Yeah. And I I do think it's setting the um, the scene or planting the seed or however you want to put it for what's going to come of, hey, I got an idea. Right. And on that level, I totally buy it. But I have to admit, rewatching it, because I, I wrote the same or I wrote down something kind of similar there about I don't know it does seem a little we're sailing into foreshadow bay <laughs> I, I mean I fully recognize and own the fact that I'm being a little unfair here because I do know where it goes but right right and yeah. you know originally we didn't right so I, I think in this I mean I'm only kind of kidding when I run into somebody who says that they're watching Buffy for the first time and I say, I, I'm kind of jealous mm -hmm. because, you know, and, and Firefly, I say it even more on, but it is, it's the idea of I can never again see it for the first time. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm, I'm a little jaded. Do what I did and wait 20 years between rewatch. <laughs> <laughs> then it's like watching it for the first time all over again. That seems a little drastic. It to is. Me. I don't recommend it actually. But we also have the great scene with uh, Buffy and Spike. Yep, that's the other big one that we kind of yeah. jumped over. Where, dear God, they finally get honest. Right. They finally, finally. speak. Yes. Um, so do you love that scene? I do love that scene. Um, because it's so, because it's believably awkward. Because I think we've all had conversations like that with somebody or... Or maybe we've come close to having that conversation and both sides chickened out or whatever. But yeah, I, 
I, uh, I really loved that scene. I thought it was very well done. I thought, once again, I feel like James Marsters does a fantastic job when he's given those, those soulful, heartfelt yeah. moments to deliver as Spike. And the idea that they do finally, I mean, because first Spike missteps and says that last night didn't matter. It was a glitch. Mm -hmm. And then Buffy kind of plays it off. Mm -hmm. And then Buffy stops playing the games and then Spike stops playing the games. It, But we've seen these characters over several years kind of dance around it and we've seen them um be everything but honest right with each other without you know breaking into song <laughs> right yeah we could Which use needs a broadway demon <laughs> exactly we the suite should show up at the end of every season and just get it oh characters I... back on track how much do i love sweet oh he's a He's amazing. Um, so yeah, his little Spike's little speech here is talking about how you know I've never been close to anyone, huh? least of all you, till last night. Uh, it was the best night of my life. I mean, that's it. Doesn't I mean I love that scene. I love that speech. It doesn't quite choke me up as much as his "Every Night I Save You" speech from season six. <laughs> but, but still, yeah, I'm it is there with you. It's a but great it's a close second. Yeah, it's, it's a great a moment second. of honesty between the two of them. Um, and you know, from the time they introduced Spike in this show, and you saw how tender and sweet he was with Drusilla. Yep. Who is barking mad. Yeah. I mean, from the get go. And is again a character I love. Yeah. I really do. Although she doesn't really get an arc. You know, not I mean, really. she'll show up, she'll show up on Angel. She but gets she a little really stuff. Get an arc. Yeah, she gets a little stuff on Angel, but. But not, you know, not like Wesley, not like Spike. Right. Not like Not Dar like Cordelia. Not like Darla. Not like Darla. Oh. But at, at any rate, we know that Spike is capable of these deep feelings, but it's different with Buffy than it is with Drew. Mm -hmm. Just like her relationship with Spike is different than it is with Angel, and we can definitely go back and forth about about that. So, all right. Well, let's let's start heading in the direction of going back and forth about Angel. But we first we okay. have to first we have to talk about. So I already prefaced this, or I, I already primed the pump for this one. I'm not going to lie. The introduction of the Guardians. Oh Lord. <laughs> the whole who watches the Watchmen angle. Um, uh -huh. that was just one more layer of the Deus Ex Machina that it was, it was, it was like a bridge. It was barely a bridge too far for me. <laughs> okay. For me, the bridge too far. She, all right. We get this great shot of Buffy walking alone through the graveyard, huh? which is just something we have gotten set up for, for seven seasons. Right. Um, she's alone in a graveyard at night. She's walking confidently. Mm -hmm. And she comes across an Egyptian-style temple. I know. Why is there a pyramid in the middle of this cemetery? <laughs> and it is. It's. I mean, Sunnydale is pot, plot convenience warehouse. When necessary, add to my list here, they have had 
docks. <laughs> right. Yeah. They've had a they've had a college, then a University of California campus. Right. And Dracula's Castle. <laughs> I forgot about Dracula's Castle. Yeah. Because so help me in that one, one of them turns. I think it's Xander turns to the group and says, "Don't you think we would have noticed that?" <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, so, I think ah. I think earlier in the episode there was some reference to um, consecrated ground on the edge of town or something like that. I I think that was supposed to lead us to believe that this was a. I mean, uh, for me, it would have been better if it hadn't been a cemetery at all. If it had been something buried in the woods somewhere, but yeah, I think what that was supposed to do is show us this is a cemetery she doesn't walk through all the time, maybe. <laughs> But, but how do we, but nothing is done to make us know that. Right, and it does, right. it just, it just feels like, oh, we need it. Yeah. If it had been tucked away somewhere, she'd had to go in a cave or, you yeah. know, whatever. But there are a lot so, of caves in so, Sunnydale too. So she then goes in our Egyptian style temple and it's lit with candles. I was, I was going to say, waiting for I was going to say the torches. I liked the fact that she just kicks the door in and it goes flying down the stairs. I was like, all right, that's cool. Buffy's no nonsense right now. And I'm glad I, I'll allow the whole torches already being lit because she doesn't even comment on it. She doesn't even blink, yeah. which tells me what I'm imagining is in her head. She's like, well, this is the right place. Obviously, there's fair a enough. there's a fair a vault hidden in this cemetery with the lights already on. Obviously, <laughs> so we then have this uh, old woman with long white hair. Keep the long white hair in mind right. for a later episode, shall we say? <laughs> right. And she turns out to be the last guardian. She does not turn into an owl. Oh man. That would have been great. <laughs> it's true. Um, and, you know, she get, she gets this pretty decent bit of explaining, you know, the, who watches the Watchmen. And, oh, look, it's it, it, we were all women who came up with this because ah, <laughs> the, the first the first ones and, and watchers bad, bad. I look good for my age. She she gets all that in there, and, you know, the Guardians are there to help and protect the Slayers. They've been waiting all this time. And before the conversation gets incredibly awkward about, so why the hell haven't you come out any time lately? Right. Caleb somehow was already there. He sneaks up behind her somehow. Smack! Or crack, as the case may be. He does have a good line there. He's like, I'm sorry, I couldn't here over the sound of her neck snapping did she say the end is near or here or the end is here yeah which which is a nice bit it really is and and she does and the guardian does get the one good foreshadowing line again as we continue to sail into foreshadow bay of but you already have your weapons yeah 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 girl that it's not all about the scythe so i kind of rolled my eyes through most of that guardians thing um, you wouldn't have if she turned into an owl. No, I would have cheered if she turned into an owl. <laughs> um, but I do appreciate that they managed to bring back the whole joke of Buffy's name. Yes, yes. So I'm sorry. What is your name? Buffy. Buffy. No, no, seriously. real. Yeah, no, really. <laughs> um, 
Uh, that that was good. I'm, I'm glad at the end of the series they went all the way back to the beginning and brought that joke back. That's good. So, you know, then we get the whole Caleb and Buffy fighty fight fight, mm -hmm. and he's super extra strong because of the merging. Because of the mystical sex he just had, yeah. Because of the mystical sex. And then what happens? Hey. Exactly. That's, that's what happens. In my list, every episode I write down a list of quotes that I, I want to remember to call out, and I haven't called out most of them. But my last quote of this episode is Angel. Hey. Hey. <laughs> um, it's not my last quote of this episode, but it's the next to last. Okay. I both like and hate this. Okay. Bit. Yeah. Because to me, it really does feel like, hey, the band's all getting back together and everybody has to be here. Right. For, you know, the rap party so that we can cut cake. <laughs> um, it feels a little bit like that to me. Mm hmm it also, in a more important way, though, to me, it undercuts something that sh that really matters. Which is? I, I get the setup here. And, you know, Angel even gets the line about, you are so going to lose and, mm -hmm. and all that. But he's, Caleb is, I mean, the personification of misogyny is evil. Right. And... Then she gets temporarily saved by a guy. And I don't like it. I And I never have liked it. I, I did. I did cringe just a little bit at that. Um, yeah. But the. I think the reason why that doesn't stick with me is because. And again, this whole thing does feel like the necessary crossover, like yeah. they 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 didn't really need to do this except that they needed to tie the two shows together or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I, I sort of let it go because we get the whole, Oh, I get it. This is something you have to do about do on your own. You have to finish this on your own. And she's like, I really kind of do. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, I, I'm that's with good. You. That's I'm with good. you. And it does set up this beautiful little bit at the very end that we do need to talk about. Yeah. But before we get there, with that whole bit, because it, it's been a long time since I've, I've seen End of Days, and the whole bit of, I guess this is just one of those things that you have to do by yourself. I, I'm sorry, because it's Fillion, I immediately go back to Firefly with that great bit where they come to rescue him from Niska. <laughs> yes. And Regina uh, Torres. Zoe says... says this is something the captain has to do by himself. No, no, no it's, it's not. not. No, it's not. <laughs> oh, and then they just opened fire. Oh, good stuff. I hadn't thought of that. That's good. And That's good. and I do. I really, I, you know, again, if you're going to reuse your actors, uh, some of this I think is deliberate. Right. But so we do. We do. We have this bit that ever so slightly bugs me about Angel showing up to. I don't know. Be a little bit of the vampire in shining armor and then, but it does set things up. Right. And it sets them up beautifully. Buffy slices the crap out of Caleb who with the scythe. And he of course laughs and kind of falls over. You have this wonderful Hollywood moment where angel and Buffy, who many think, 
you know, our destined loves and all that are kissing all over each other, blah, 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 blah. And then off in the shadows, we see Spike. Yep. Who, who not 20 minutes ago bared his soul. Right. Quite literally. Literally, yeah. And Buffy, of course, is um, acknowledges that. Right. And feels the same way. And now she's smooching all over uh, Angel. Yeah. Big forehead guy. Big forehead. And the... And the first boy hair jail of his. <laughs> right, right. And the first is there next to Spike and says as Buffy, as Buffy and says that bitch <laughs> to try and egg Spike on. Um, yeah, it's a fantastic place to cut that episode. I mean, it does uh, as you're watching this series for the first time, it certainly does give you pause to think crap. Have we gotten all this good Spike stuff just to have him? turn again at the at the final final moment but of course we know where it's going we do but the first time we watched we didn't no i'm sure i don't i i don't intimately remember i don't have a photographic memory of my response to this but i'm sure i was pissed as hell i'm sure i was fuming when that happened because this uh is a crossover basically with home which is the final episode of angels season four so i had i at that point in time when this originally aired i was madly in love with angel i'd gotten over my anti-bangel stuff and fallen in love with the character of angel on his own in his own series and i loved the fact that they had stopped doing as many crossovers and let angel stand on its own and then here he pops up to throw you know, a monkey wrench into the gears of the good spuffy thing that we've finally got going at the end of this series. And God damn it. Why is he here? <laughs> and Joss, what the hell is wrong with you? Yeah. I'm sure I was raging. So speaking of crossovers between the two shows, uh-huh. I actually just thought of this. I can't believe I just thought of this, but one of the glories of this show is, as I said earlier, you keep finding new things, right? So, a crossover that never was, but should have been. Okay. Ready? Sure. And I'm okay with it being on <laughs> on Buffy, but I think it would have fit really well on Angel. Sweet. I like it already. Lord. I mean, damn it, yeah. Yeah. Get, that... get sweet in, uh, in Caritas. Yes, I mean that seems bloody natural. It seems only Doesn't it? <laughs> I can't I actually can't believe it never happened. At the very least they could have had Lorne just make some reference to I've got a guy called one of my favorites, a guy called Sweet is showing up later. I can't talk. <laughs> or whatever like there could have at least been a mention I mean, of him. Just a little throwaway, but wouldn't that have been all kinds of awesome? Oh my god, that would have been great. Oh, can't wait to uh, talk about Angel. The things we we didn't get. Yeah. So so we only have one episode to go here, of course, and yeah. it's a doozy. It's a doozy. But then you're going to go into Angel? Yes. Awesome. And I have I guess that I've 
stated this as a fact. I think that I've actually made this official and I've, I've formally decided I'm going to do it, but I'm 99% sure that after Angel, I'll do Firefly. Oh, I will stalk you. Okay. I mean, there's only 14 episodes of that, so I'm sure those are going to fill up quick, but. I will stalk you about Firefly though. There's, while there are a few episodes I like more than others, there's not a bad one. Exactly. Exactly. Um, And I'm not as excited about this because I've only seen the show once and was not as big a fan of it as so many other people were. So if I do this, it really will be a rewatch for me. Um, after Firefly, I feel like I'm probably obligated to do Dollhouse. Oh, really? Yeah. It seems to make sense. I mean, I don't know what you call what comes after a trifecta. What's a quad? Trifecta? Quadruped? No, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Castropot? No, 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 that's not right. Castropot. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not. Uh, I'm not 100 sold on that. Although I do know that there are members of our audience uh, and former guests who are fans of the show and would probably. I I have to admit, I would for me, Dollhouse would be an actual rewatch. I haven't watched that. Yeah. In a long time, and I've written on Dollhouse. Okay. But uh, it's been it's been quite a while. I I really got into the whole. Rossum Corp mm-hmm. and where um, where some because I'm all about the names where some names came from right yeah so and Dollhouse honestly has some really good stuff it does I mean I remember there were things that I really loved I, I loved some of the characters and a lot of the actors I mean that's the show that gave us um Names just went out of my head. Uh, Deachin Lockman. Is, mm-hmm. that, is that her name? Deachin Lockman? I, I think Lockman is, is correct. And also gave us uh, Fran Enver, Kranz. Fran Kranz and Enver Jokai. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. yeah. Like those three, but I will my, be eternally be grateful. Honest, my problem with, with Dollhouse has to do with some of the same issues only writ larger that we see here in season seven of Buffy, mm-hmm. where some things just feel crammed. Okay. Some things just seem to happen way too quickly. And, and for, I, I don't know, some things get kind of chopped off. Right. Um, yeah. So I'm not 100% committing right now that dollhouse actually will be a thing, but it okay. probably will be a thing. At the very least, I feel like I need to rewatch it just to make sure that I've given it a fair shot. Because I really did only watch it on original air. Um, yeah, I've watched it since then. But I remember I you and I talking about it before it came out at one of the Slayers yeah. conferences. We were yeah. like very excited for any little drips or drabs of information that we could find about it. Oh, it's so true. And I, I don't know if you're also going to do some of Whedon's other stuff. You, have you thought about doing Frey? Um, just today, as I was realizing, oh crap, I said I was going to try and reread Frey for tonight's conversation. I didn't do that. I was like, at first I was thinking, well, maybe I'll reread it. So I'll, we can talk about it right. on the chosen episode and I might still do that. But, um, on, um, 
the Avatar Returns, the podcast that me and Arlo and our friend Eric Sippel did, where we uh-huh. talked about Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra. When we finished Avatar The Last Airbender, the full series, we did episodes uh, focused on the tie-in comics. Uh, and those are some of our, those are some of the big, biggest fan responses we got. A, because those books were extraordinary, way better than any tie-in material to anything else I've ever read. Huh. Um, but I don't know. I, I'd considered doing that with Frey. The only thing that gives me pause there is I then feel like I'm obligated or people would expect me to be doing all of the comics. And I just don't know if I have that in me. I just yeah, don't know and, if I can do I that. I have to admit, I gave up on the comics pretty early in the run. It, yeah, so did I. So did I. Uh, I really did. And I'm, and I mean, I'm a comic girl, mm-hmm. but I, I had some real problems with how they were doing some stuff. And yeah. I understand some things got better, whatever. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's also your podcast and you can do whatever the hell you want. <laughs> well, sure. I'm beholden to my fans. Both of them. So, um, but I, I do. I, th- I think for me, it's just that Frey gets so little attention. No, I agree. And I think it deserves it. I agree. So just something to think about. I just want to back you up on your, your plan if your plan is to do Frey. If it's not, I'm not backing you up. <laughs> I will. I will, um, I'll float this idea to you and to the audience. Um, like on the Avatar Returns, we use those comics as a bridge between, uh-huh. this is not 100% accurate, but basically we use them as a bridge between our discussion of the original Avatar series and the Legend of Korra, the sequel series. Okay. We filled some of the space in between with those. Um, so I could possibly do that after the chosen episode, but before I start Angel, I could do an episode about Frey and... And that's the thing. It, you wouldn't have to do, it wouldn't be a, a huge commitment. Right. Because, I mean, Frey's not an extensive series. Right. It's eight issues. Yeah. So, yeah, that could happen. And since you're... It's something to, it's something to think about. Since you're a comic girl, maybe you could come back and talk about Frey. I would so love to talk about Frey. Okay. I, I do. I, And it would encourage me to do a reread of it, too. All right. Because I haven't done that in a while. But... um. Yeah, Frey just doesn't get the attention it deserves. And and I understand your point about people would then expect you to do, like, all the comics. And does that mean his run on Astonishing? Oh, um, oh. I mean, no, I'm down for doing stuff like that. His, oh. run, his run on Astonishing? Yeah. Okay, what about, what about I, Sugar Shock? Yeah, I've only read that when it first came out. so I, Oh, Sugar Shock is a lot of fun, though. But so I guess to answer your question about doing the other Whedon stuff, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, I would love to co- cover some other stuff. Um, I was concerned about people wanting me to do the Buffy comics because I just yeah, don't and, know about and that. And again, but... that's, uh, I made it through, I think, season eight and a little bit of nine Yeah, I, and yeah. dropped it. Yeah. I've heard some really good things about Faith and Angel, particularly. I did. Now, Arlo and I were reading Faith and Angel. I don't know. He probably continued longer than I did, but we both agreed that that was pretty good. That was really, yeah. really good. Yeah. I, I, the angel comic didn't really grab me. Yeah. I maintain the finale of angel is nigh perfect. Absolutely. It is the watermark and by which I judge all other shows. <laughs> so in my mind, um, where I get to make the rules, I say the angel comics aren't. canon. <laughs> I, I'm right there with you. Because, 
because I don't want them to be. Uh, exactly. I 100% agree. And, you know, if there's one thing I've learned by being a pop culture academic, eh, we get to decide what's canon. <laughs> right. You know, and right. we get to decide what can be left out of canon. Sure. Um, I have tremendous power in Absolutely. my head. I mean, it's it's her turned your your power your head power has turned your hair pink so <laughs> that's how powerful you are it's corona violet corona violet that's what it is <laughs> nice yeah nothing it, and i have to admit i i really really like it i i do think my students are i, I think my students don't have a problem with it i don't think the people i work with have a problem with it but it definitely is. You don't look like any law professor I've ever seen. <laughs> eh, people should get out more. Right. But not during a pandemic. Oh, wear your damn masks, idiots. Pretty much. All right. Well, man, we just rambled there at the end, didn't we? <laughs> just yeah, went we off did, on... but that's, that's what editing is for. I don't edit this stuff. <laughs> to hell with that. All right. Um, again, I... I'm sure we're going to get positive feedback on this one too. Cause once again, you were incredible. Thank you so much, Dale, for joining I, me. I really, really enjoy doing this. Thank you so much for having me. I will have you back as often as I possibly can. So there You're you go. A good man. Keeps me out of pool halls. You and I need, you and I need our own podcast about something. <laughs> Just the two of us. That would be interesting for us. At least I don't know what your viewer. <laughs> I don't know if listeners would follow, but we'd have a good time. We would. We'll we'll have to talk about we'll something. Talk. We'll talk. Um, um, uh, contact info. Yes, yes. Uh, let the listeners know how they can stalk you online, and also let's get some more info about the or repeat the info about the. Uh, I can't even remember what it was called. The law and pop culture thing. Sure, sure. So the uh, the new area for Swapaka. 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 <laughs> I wish it were in Alabama, then it would be alpaca, but <laughs> oh my gosh, I know it really would be, that would be great. Uh, but the new area for Swapaca, Southwest Popular and American Culture Association is lawyers and the legal system in popular culture. There is a CFP, which stands for call for papers mm -hmm. that is easily findable on two of the Big, big clearing houses for conferences. Yes, such things exist. One is with the University of Pennsylvania. One is with the Humanities Net called HNet. I will also send you a link, so maybe you can put it in the program notes. I will. If that'll work. Yep. You can stalk me uh, on Twitter. I'm at K Dale Kuntz because that's the name I write under. K O O N T Z, like Dean Kuntz, but with a happier childhood. <laughs> <laughs> I did see a dog wandering behind you for much of this podcast, and he has a thing for dogs in his stories. And and apparently in real life, because dogs are awesome. Yes. Um, That's probably the best way to get in touch with me. Okay. That away. And I will send you some information also for the program notes. But I have loved the crap out of doing this the last two weeks. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're a blessing. You've brought some life to this dying podcast. <laughs> All right. Um, 
And thank you all at home for listening. You can find links to this in all of our past episodes, including last week's glorious Dale debut at the website conswithdead.com. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts while you're there. Please rate us or write us a review. That really helps us find new listeners. If you have questions for me or any of my guests, or if you'd just like to join the conversation, you can drop us an email at conswithdead at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at conswithdead or reach out to us on Facebook at Conversations with Dead People. And next, as we have not been shy about letting you know, um, <laughs> it's the end. Ask not for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for the Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, in spite of my best efforts at dragging my feet, uh, it seems we finally arrived at the end of the series. So join me and my all-star panel of guests, Nikki Stafford, Elizabeth Rambo, and Arlo Wiley, as we discuss the ultimate, final, once-and-for-all real series finale, because damn those comics... And bid a fond farewell to whichever of our heroes happen to survive episode 722, Chosen. Until then, grr arg, everybody. Grr arg. Come on. Let's talk about sex, baby.